Mic check, mic check. Yeah. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. I am your host, Jason Wood, the VA loan guy. Today, I have a special guest and friend of mine, Kevin Key, Army veteran and actually a classmate of mine from college, and super pumped to have him on the show and, and get a chance to talk to him about all the stuff that's going on currently. And, and uh, Kevin, I want to thank you for taking the time to jump on with us, man. Thanks so much. Well, thanks, Jason. It's good to see you. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, feel proud to uh, have the reference to speak out about this, but not necessarily proud of everything I'm seeing unfold. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, we're going to kind of jump right into to things here, you know, with this whole Afghanistan situation that's um, obviously all over the news and the media, right? And um, the recent withdrawal of U.S. troops and what has transpired as a result of that. And, um, and so now, Kevin, he served, and um, why don't you give us a, a, a brief background of kind of your service so we can kind of tie together your experience uh, with all this, if you don't mind. Uh, sure. So, you know, briefly, I started my military career in the Nevada National Guard when I was in college, but then upon graduation in 98, uh, I, uh, I went active duty. And after a short time in the regular military, I went, uh, I, I was accepted to 2nd Ranger Battalion and uh, spent uh, four years as an Airborne Ranger. And during that time, I, I uh, participated in an Afghanistan deployment in early February of '02, and uh, stayed there for about six months, and then went on to invade uh, Iraq as well with uh, the Ranger Regiment. Uh, but in addition to that, after that, I went to uh, Special Forces Assessment and Selection, became a Green Beret, and uh, then deployed another four times to Afghanistan, and uh, met a lot of people there, and been part of that effort of the U.S. interest for some time. So. I've uh, been all over the country and served in many different capacities, uh, boots on the ground there. So that is my primary reference. Nice. Nice, man. Well, thanks for all you've done there. And um, I know none of those deployments are easy. And obviously watching what's going on right now is is definitely not easy either. Um, and I never even deployed to that area. But, you know, just understanding kind of the scope of what's going on, it's super frustrating, I think, for everybody who has served, right, in, in the way that this is being handled. So, um, you know, we've been over there for, what, about 20 years now, um, since the 9-11 attacks, really, and that's kind of when the Afghanistan peace began. And, um, and obviously, um, President Biden has put the final day, August 31st, everyone's out of there. And, you know, there's, there's a bunch of buzz around all sorts of different things, but you know, leaving Americans behind, leaving those um, who are the Afghani people who did support our mission, whether it was translators or just inside people that were helping us that we may have trained or whatever, um, you know, are, are not going to have an opportunity to get out of there and going to be stuck kind of under this Taliban control, this Taliban rule, which is a terrorist organization. I mean, it's awful. Um, mm -hmm. And um, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack with that, right? So, you know, 
what are your thoughts and feelings about what's happening there right now? And I think one of my questions also is, you know, and kind of a two-part question is, how does this affect the United States on kind of a, a global stage going forward? Like, what is the perception of other countries of us because of how we've, we've, we're dealing with this now? Well, well, first of all, uh, thanks for the questions. And, and I'm hugely frustrated. Uh, one of the biggest frustrations to me is I've made a lot of contacts in Afghanistan, those I consider friends and, and what have you. And uh, they've been, and, and I've made contact, I've had friends with them on various social media platforms from LinkedIn to Facebook and, and I've made contact with a lot of them over the years and didn't really, uh, you know, have regular interaction with them, but saw what they're doing, saw their families. And now I am getting bombarded with requests to help and, trying to connect them with different entities and, and all of that. And, uh, and they just feel hopeless. And to include that, as I've tried to work with, there's this, I don't know if you've been hearing about Task Force Digital Dunkirk, but it's a lot of us, former special operations that are working to try to get together to get a lot of these people out, focused on American citizens, then uh, 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 special immigrant visa holders, civs, as you'll, you'll hear on the media. Yeah. And of course, the, those that have uh, passports and direct links to helping U.S., but the, the sad reality is the vast majority of everyone I'm talking to and try to help them and send them the latest uh, documentation requirements from the State Department would seem, would seem to update daily. Uh, it's just not getting anywhere. And now I will caveat that with uh, this all started for me early. Well, it started last week, but it started in a serious way uh, this Monday morning, this past Monday morning, a week ago. And uh, it's 10 days ago. And uh, and I got in contact with an American citizen, a 29 year old woman, and she and we we're back and forth. She was scared. She was beaten trying to get to the airport. Last night, we got confirmation she made it into uh, Karzai International uh, Airport. So she's got a long road ahead to get out of there, but she is in the pipeline. And, and so we could we could rest assured she will likely be safe. I also was able to get one interpreter with the civ out on monday or help him do so you know there's a lot of people involved there's no way i could in any way take uh loan credit for any of this i'm just trying to push connect dots and push information as we get where current taliban checkpoints are and try to help these people go but so that's the the small icing of good news the bad news is that of the tens to 20 that I am helping to try to get there and writing various letters of employment verification by the U.S. to, they're not getting anywhere. And the even sadder thing is the, there's the, another hundred or so folks that are reaching out to me that I just don't know. And I'm not going to, and I, 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 I cry for their, their situation, but if I don't know them, I, I can't vet them. So I sadly just have to tell them, I'll give them the current documentation forms, provide them as best advice, but they're, they're really kind of on their own if they're not an American citizen or have direct support currently of, of the U.S. And then to your second question, uh, how does this make this look on the world stage? I think horrible. It, you know, we're showing we asked the British, the French, the Dutch, uh, the Australians, so many to come and help us. And so many did UAE. And they, the, those that are still there are there because we asked and they're trying to get their citizens out, too. And we're essentially saying, hey, I know we, we shared the burden of this and we did all the security, but we're done. So good luck. And I mean, that's the way I'm looking at it. And it's heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awful. I, I don't know that um, there's going to be much good, if any, that comes from, from this stuff. Um, you know, are there, I've seen some other organizations online, um, some different guys, you know, Tim Kennedy and 
and a few other guys online are helping um, to to get some folks out of there. Um, are you are you working in collaboration with any other groups, organizations, or or connecting people to any other groups um, to help in this effort? Several. There's several. There's several of us talking, getting real time information of hey, this gate at the airport looks like it's going to link up at this time. Here's the current info on uh, Taliban related checkpoints, and and we're trying to pass it. But the sad thing is. The people on the ground there trying to get out are just running around with a phone and they're getting different bureaucratic things. And then they're showing up to the airport if they make it through the checkpoints. And there's just a mad chaos if you've seen such of the pictures. And for them to even get to an area where they can shout at a Marine or someone since the U.S. is, is basically told to stay behind the airport lines and gates, there is no real effective way for them to get to a processing thing as it's all related to me. So the answer is, yeah, we're helping, but but it's kind of it's it's kind of like I'm trying to help find a needle in a haystack by by taking one needle out at a time as directing uh you know someone who's actually picking up the needles and or the haystack pieces and it's not even me and it's it's very I'm not going to quit but uh but it's it's really frustrating and it's not doing as much good as I wish it would. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, and there's a lot of um, a lot of political impetus on all of this too, and, and a lot of politics involved i i feel like um you know have, absolutely go ahead. What, what i'd like to share also too is that i'm willing to do this and this is not something i'd say no as are thousands of other veterans but the point is why in the world is a retired lieutenant colonel special forces officer doing this sitting sitting in the united states with no direct control of any assets the u.s government has but this when i know that our government and our state department working together have complete capability to go get these the the majority of these people very quickly they're yeah. just being told to stand down yeah no and i i've seen uh, multiple videos of people just like you former special operators that say the exact same thing like we have every capability to go in there get everybody out right now and um with little to no loss of life and you know kind of clean up this mess and the fact that they're not given the authority to be able to do that is completely mind blowing. I, I just can't understand why from the commander in chief to the state department, why they're not getting any sort of latitude to do the right thing. You know, I mean, yeah, I'm blown, I'm blown away. I want to provide some sort of answer. I want to believe that there's some sort of good interest involved, but, but for my foxhole, it's just, uh, it looks dire. Uh, it looks like there will be Americans left behind. I will, oh, by the way, I hope I, I do not want to be right on that at all. And if and if it does happen, I hope we reverse course and try to do something to go get them. But uh, but it's just uh, it, it seems just such a daunting task that is headed completely the wrong direction. Yeah, and I've heard also that um, they've enlisted like some private enterprise, like airlines and things like that, to help you know fly people out of there. But you still have still have the problem of getting them to the airport, right? I mean, that's as big of a problem as getting them in the sky, isn't it? Yes. And I, and so I, I can't validate any information I'm about to say, but I have been in contact with those that are, that are manifesting those uh, individuals on private aircraft. Their, the, what I'm told is their inability to work with current authorities on the ground and process the right people through. And then, oh, by the way, not take up the limited ramp space that is on, uh, uh, on the Karzai International Airport, it's it's they're not able to even fill the planes and they're taken off with seats available because the systems aren't in place. And oh, by the way, it's not like Bagram where you can land a bunch of planes and have them sit there. 
you know, that the uh, Kabul airport, it's not, they don't have the capacity. So these planes are not being filled, as I'm told, and then they're taken off uh, without the, enough people on them. So uh, uh, I hope that's not true, but that's the information I'm getting from reputable sources that are working this scenario on the ground. Jeez. And what's, what's, what's the deal also, you know, you heard, I, I heard that there's like $82 million or billion dollars, I forget what it was, of U.S. assets uh, left behind from, from weapons to helicopters, the, the Air Force base uh, that we had established there. Um, what's going on? What, I mean, what's, I mean, I think typically when we, when we leave somewhere like that, there's a protocol typically with, well, with assets, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, there is. And, and really what you're looking at is the collapse of the uh, 300,000 plus Afghan army within a week. And, and then, the, so basically all oh, that's where that equipment's coming from. It's not, some of it was just abandoned and some of it, you know, a lot of it, that's billions of dollars or if not maybe millions, but there's a, there's a ton that is not just wasn't usable. So the numbers sound a little bit more horrible than the actual truth. Like an old Black Hawk helicopter, is that worth something even though the engine is taken out of it? Well, yes. So I'm just I'm just saying that objectively. Now the weapons are another story. Those those were weapons that were used by the Afghan National Army as referred to as ANA or you will hear the term ANSF, Afghan National Security Forces. And so a lot of those weapons just got handed over. And now they're, they're running. The one one horrible thing with all that is now they have now we got uh other foreign entities that can come in and backwards engineer a lot of our stuff and look at and look for intel and build their own military capacities to fight us against it. A good news story is though is the Taliban does not have infrastructure. As the US military, we have multiple Mondays, everyone goes out there, learns stuff with equipment. This equipment is not going to be very useful on the battlefield in a short time, but they still have it. And the weapons is a huge piece and it's just a, a colossal waste. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge waste. And, um, you know, ar arming those guys with more than what they already have seems pretty frightening to me. I mean, um, you know, this this organization taking over this entire country. I mean, what does this mean? What does this mean for the region? What I think it means, and, and it's frustrating to no end of me, is I think. Well, I'll go back. So uh, uh, Trump is getting a lot of uh, I I'm not in here in any way to boost Trump. Uh, but the, he's getting a lot of flack for, well, he released these 5,000 prisoners. And I do believe that added fuel to the fire. I, do, I did not agree with that at the time. I did not think that was good. But I can understand his justification. Because what he was trying to do is work with the Taliban and say, look, we get it. We're going to support the, the Afghan government, but you have the potential to take over. And I just want to, if you do, I want to let you know, we, we are not going to stop you with U.S. force. We're going to go ahead. We, we're, we're just going to make sure you don't have any terrorists on the ground there. So if you can pledge to not allow ISIS or Al Qaeda in, then we'll tell you that we're just going to be there to support our troops and our interests, and then we'll back. So I don't necessarily agree with that decision that he made to get release the 5,000 inmates, but I understand where he's going, and I can, I can get behind at least the intent behind it. But now, under the current situation, to go back to your question, what does that mean for us in the region? Well, that d deal, for whatever it was worth, is off the table. It is no more. It is null and void. So now Al-Qaeda and ISIS are going to have free reign to come right back in. And oh, by the way, as the Taliban start to take more and more control, all the governance and all the judicial systems and all the magistrates and uh, the prison, what have every all infrastructure of Afghanistan is, t is off. It's gone. So now you can they're free to run around and murder with no accountability. 
And, uh, and so I think that they're going to be more than willing to bring in ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and let them build up and reverse engineer whatever we got there and try to, and I think it makes it worse than pre-9-11, to be honest. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's ultimately like kind of what my fear was is, you know, you get Al-Qaeda and, and those, those actors back in there and ISIS. And for all intents and purposes, they were, they were pretty, pretty well eliminated for the most part. Um, but yeah, this gives them, you know, the feeding ground to grow and build and recruit and, you know, get after terrorism again. And on a yeah, and and oh, by the way, I really hope I'm wrong, but uh, I I have a I have a master's of science in international defense analysis and study these things for a living for about a quarter century, and uh, I don't think I'm wrong on this one. I don't think you're wrong either. Um, what's what goes through my head a little bit on this is how does this impact, you know, other neighboring countries that are nearby? You know, you've got Hezbollah kind of cheering this on, right? You've got Iraq, which is not necessarily a very stable state um, or, or strong, you know, I mean, um, you got Iran right there, um, which is highly unstable and, you know, a, a proponent of kind of these terrorist groups and stuff like that. I mean, it seems to me that, you know, this Taliban taking over is going to add like jet fuel to the fire of terrorism growth in, in, throughout the whole Middle East. I mean, are, are you thinking kind of the same thing? I, I do. I, I totally think that that is a very true spear and, uh, and it's dangerous. And another dangerous factor is the international political geosphere of, we strangely, the Chinese embassy has not been bothered at all, even though ours has been completely evacuated. And well, China remains to have freedom of maneuver. They continue to build road infrastructure and they're towards the mines in the north where they're looking at mining lithium. Oh, by the way, the House just voted on the new infrastructure bill, which mandates that all, uh, all vehicles sold in the US will be electric by 2030. So now we have a situation where China is controlling over 80% of, then it's not just in Afghanistan, but globally, 80% of all lithium mines. And we're signing off on legislation that makes us subject to buying things directly from China. And, and Afghanistan is a huge part of that. So it's a very scary scenario. Wow. Yeah, that's super, that's very suspect in, in mm -hmm. a lot of reasons. You know, if you, if you kind of put your conspiracy theory hat on, um, you know, and it, it dives more into kind of the political realm of the why behind some of these decisions and stuff like that. But it it seems to me that there's a little more underneath um, underneath the surface there than meets the eye, as you were explaining, you know, with the lithium and this infrastructure deal. Um, it's it's gnarly and um, very, very, I think, twisted up at the top, top ranks. And I think there's there's more hands in the cookie jar there than we would probably like to see. And, and, Absolutely. And, and the wrong hands. And back to your question. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, and then back to your question again of the uh, the regional stability. I don't think Biden would have been willing to do this. I'm hearing from senior experts that uh, that Trump actually did plan to do this. But what I look at, regardless of what they want to do. Giving up Bagram Air Base and the ability to flex mass amounts of force to that unstable region of the air of the world was a huge mistake. And having that gives us a lot of flexibility, regardless of whether you're talking about nation building or not, supporting the Afghan government or not, 
uh, evacuating all troops or not, uh, maintaining that air base and its strategic uh, capability to launch all around that area where a lot of people don't like us and have interests against us uh, really is dire to now our ability to see to seek resolution in that area about other violent types of uh, actions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a really good strategic location. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, do you see us in the years forward back in the Middle East in some sort of war scenario? Uh, yes. And I really hope I'm wrong. I, I just can't see us avoiding that with all the, you know, with, you know, the, the more we turn away from energy independence, the more we're going to re- have to realign with OPEC, the more we, uh, the, the more the area gets unstable. And oh, by the way, the chances of the Taliban leaning towards a stability government in that area is slim to none, uh, in my view. And, and the more that it may inspire other uh, nefarious actors to act up in their age, I think that that's a real concern. And, and we, are, we have had a role of being the ones that stand up for freedom. I, know, I don't know if we're still doing that right now. Uh, my whole time in the military, we did as as with yours, but uh, it really, I think it's going to be hard to stay out of the Middle East. Yeah, I, I, that's that's what I'm seeing too. When you get more of these nefarious actors in the region who are now strengthened, um, you know they're they're surrounding some of our other allies in that region. Who, you know, I don't know whether this current commander in chief is going to vow to it or not, but in the past, commander in chiefs has vowed you know, to protect and, and defend some of our other allies in the region. And, um, you know, what does that look like going forward? And, I, and honestly, I, I wonder from their point of view, are, are they nervous that they can even rely on us? Oh, absolutely. I don't think they have any faith. As you saw that, uh, just today, a senior British uh, um, parliament member said he would not support uh, any military action in the future under the Biden administration. Wow. That's a big deal. I don't have his name offhand, but I was just reading an article, and uh, and it's and yeah, it's not looking good. Oh man, hold on one second. We got a technical issue here. Okay. It, I'm going to pull up that kind of pull up that name. Okay. Yeah, we'll start back with that um when you mentioned the British Parliament piece. All right, uh Nadal Farage uh from uh Great Britain today, he said that he would not support any military action whatsoever uh with the United States, which is an exact example of how we are losing faith of allies that have stood by us for so many years in our fight against tyranny uh, across the world. So this puts us in a dangerous place going forward, where if we want to push forward any positive objective for freedom. Yeah, yeah, it makes it. it it's a scary proposition because you, if you look at like, you know, the first Gulf war when there was the invasion of Kuwait. Right. Um, and then we, we stepped in to, to protect them. And if something, I mean, it looks to me like a very similar thing is on the horizon and I don't know which country it might be. It might not be Kuwait, but it might be some other country that's there whom, um, you know, we have an alliance with and my hunch is they're going to call us to help 
whether we do or not, I don't know, but let's say we say, yeah, we're going to help. No one else is coming. No, no, because we'll turn, yeah, we'll walk away. And, and it's a sad thing. And then if we're trying to get and then, okay, let's say we support unilaterally or with a smaller thing. We're, and now we're reliant if we ever go into another country to ask the local nationals for help. But with what, how many we're turning our backs on right now, that's going to be hard to muster support when we're just walking away from thousands upon thousands of uh, local national interpreters, local, uh, you know, 300,000 Afghan national army and the police that or, or locally that we helped train and we helped set up. And we said, we'd stood by and we built relationships. We shook hands, we had hugs uh, and we tried, we told them there, we're there to help them long-term, uh, long-term stability of Afghanistan. And we are just turning our backs and watching them fail and saying, sorry, it's been too long. Do you, and I don't know how it's going to work there with the Taliban, but in that, you know, with the police, just as an example, um, who we helped train and stand up and everything else. I mean, are those people who worked in the police force, are they now in fear of their lives because the Taliban is in charge? I, I think so. And uh, I think the, the Afghan army a little more so. Uh, the police was, were always a little bit more corrupt, and that's largely because they came out of the communities that they served, where the, the army was more of a national effort and didn't necessarily have any roots to their local, the local community that they may be around. And, uh, and that's just the nature of the beast. You, know, you see that in any country, too, including the United States, you're going to get more corruption in the local area because guys are trying to help out family and friends that they've known their whole life, to include in the Afghanistan example, the Taliban. But uh, I think a lot of them are, and I'm getting, I'm hearing horrible reports. And of course, you can't uh, can't confirm them, but they're about people getting dismembered and getting uh, and being murdered in all sorts of horrible ways. And uh, I, I doubt that that is not going to unfold to a significant degree if it really hasn't already. So it's a sad, dire situation of these people, and I'm getting reached out by to so many, and and it's really, and I I really just can't find a way to get them the help they need, and I'm trying, but it's. Uh, it's not, other than the two I mentioned, the one American and one interpreter, but I, it's, I'm not able to, to connect the dots. And it's just so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. And I, and I, I don't think really we're going to see the ability for many other countries to go in there just in a humanitarian effort to help these folks. You know what I mean? Well, I, you know, it'd be pretty hard to recommend it either. I, I, cause I don't think it's going to be the safest place to be, but right now in Pangier to the Northeast, we have seen what was the former, uh, Northern Alliance flag raised, and they are building a resistance there. And that is one of the things that I'm uh, offering to those that are reaching out is make your way to Northeast, make your way to Pangier, fight with the resistance. Because as of Friday, you know, in two days, the U.S. has to start pulling its troops out. And if they're not on a plane by then, it's kind of, it's, they're kind of out of luck as we try to stick to this 31 uh, August self-imposed deadline that I can't believe we're even doing that with the, the Taliban and their thugs. And we've been fighting them and watching them murder for the last 20 years, but we're now going to think they're okay to let them dictate uh, what we're going to do. But we're, nevertheless, there is a small glimmer of hope in, in, the, in Afghanistan and in Pangir as, uh, as there is a good resistance building. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, I hate to even wonder what the, outcome of this is going to be um because like you i fear that it's not going to be very bright um and especially for our, our u.s citizens and those that we helped um but you know fast forward you know a, a year from now um i got to imagine that there's there's going to be some pretty heavy political backlash in our country 
Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think fast forward to about a week from now when you're going to start getting these, uh, the, these American citizens and special interest visa holders that are coming to the United States, they're going to start showing up on interviews. And in fact, maybe you can find one uh, that is going to, are they going to be telling some harrowing stories? And it's not going to be pretty when they start speaking about the truth on the ground that right now, some of us are getting via text message through various means. But I don't think the, the, the larger uh, U.S. public understands the dire situation on the ground that, that is unfolding. And that's going to be pretty detrimental when these people start speaking out. And I do think it's going to be about a week because the information I'm getting is we get these Americans and other people to the airport to get them out. And oh, by the way, we knew they were there. We knew there were over 10,000 Americans on the ground and they're not just in Kabul, they're spread out in areas where we don't have airports. Uh, Kandahar is not functioning right now and there's plenty there, uh, but, and throughout all the country. But oh, by the way, so we're now, we, we know we're getting out. We know we wanted to get Americans out. But what I'm being told is there is no plan at all to move these thousands of people to, to anywhere. So they're being herded around, going to various different countries, stuck in these like camps, and they're not going to be getting anywhere for any time soon because there was no plan, just zero. They're just stuck. They're stuck. They're stuck. And we, I do believe those that get to the airport and, with their CIV documentation and especially the American citizens, again, quote unquote, those who get to the airport, uh, I do believe that they will get out uh, safely. I think they will probably go through a, a slight degree of hell as they go through the lack of plan and lack of logistics that are pre-set up. They just think of the food and water requirements as well as sleeping arrangements for thousands of people when there's nothing in existence. This is a hard, that is a hard problem to solve. Yeah. But, and, we're, and, and they're, they're going through that right now. Uh, and oh, by the way, you see the pictures in Afghanistan of all these huge numbers of thousands of people sitting on the, out on the tarmac. It's 120 degrees there right now. This is a bad scenario. Yeah, well, I mean, even just standing on pavement here in the U.S. in a hot climate in the summer, you can feel the additional heat radiating off of the blacktop, right? And now you turn mm -hmm. that up to 120 degrees on a tarmac. And for those of you who haven't been on a tarmac, there's just so much concrete and asphalt surrounding you that the, the radiation of the heat, I mean, is exponential. And that's why you see like these videos of people like, passing out from heat stroke. I, I saw one, it was heartbreaking the other day. I think it was probably a 10 or 12 year old little girl just out. I mean, she was limp like a dead fish and it was from the heat exhaustion as she's out there on the tarmac hoping to get on an airplane. And now everyone's rushing over to see if they can save her life. And when she was, you know, inches away from, you know, getting out of there, um, it's horrible. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely horrible. Um, and, and I don't know how, how these, these people that are, you know, stuck in different regions of the country make it anywhere that where they're, I mean, even if they try and get to the airport, I got to imagine getting there is going to be extremely treacherous. The Taliban's probably going to be everywhere there and not giving them a, a nice, easy, easy golden path to get to the airport. I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be quite a bit of hell to go through just to make it there. Yep. It's irrefutable that people, all people, Americans and civ holders and just regular Afghans are having trouble getting through the Taliban checkpoints. It's irrefutable that the Taliban are beating people and, and, and making this whole thing a challenge. What's gonna be very interesting is when the Taliban have not helped us make this 31 uh, August self-imposed deadline is when it passes. And oh, by the way, we didn't finish the mission. What are they gonna do then? 
and uh and i i can only pray that it is not as horrible as i know that how the taliban is capable of executing gosh um has there been any um any response by the va here uh in the states with uh any of this do you know i do not know i know several states are opening up different uh areas for refugees i know there's some military bases opening up for refugees i i I am. Uh, I know that there's some efforts to try to help this scenario on our end, but uh, but I, I haven't seen a concrete, effective plan put in place okay. or any involvement that that is really re- uh, putting my heart at ease. Yeah, I, I heard something on on the news today, and I just caught a piece of it. The Airbnb was trying to step in and help, you know, provide some sort of shelter or housing or something like that for uh, refugees and stuff, which is great. You know, the private industry is getting involved to to help a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, obviously the heavy lifting is over there and, um, that is tough and super tough. Um, well, Kevin, I, I thank you so much for, you know, sitting here and talking with us about this. This is a, a heavy, heavy topic. Um, and I know it's, it's gravely frustrating for you having served there and, you know, being a special operator and knowing, you know, knowing our capabilities, knowing full well how to, ha- how to handle this whole situation, given the authority to do so. Um, we could have solved this in a day. We could take back our embassy. We could restock it. We could put a, a task force on the uh, on the airport. We could retake Bagram. This would not take long. We could do it easily. Yeah. Ah. Oh man, it's just so frustrating. Um. Well, let's just let's just pray for these people, man. Let's just pray that they get mm-hmm. out of there and they get they get home safe because, um, you know, for a lot of us, that's about all we can do from here. And um, I know that there are some different organizations and stuff looking for donations and help and, and are trying to get resources out there. So, um, for anybody that's, that's seeing or, or listening to this podcast, um, you know, um, our heart goes out for all those people and, you know, any kind of help that you can provide, um, is going to be greatly, greatly appreciated. Absolutely. I second that. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you, sir. Um, I wish we got to talk about a, a happier topic today. Um, but definitely, uh, have you back and we'll get to talk about something a little bit more fun, but I really do appreciate you know, your, your thoughts and your, um, your, um, help on, on discussing this and kind of letting us all understand where, where it's all at. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for, thanks for having me and best to you and your family. And and hopefully I'll link up with you next time under better circumstances. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Take care. Bye. Okay. You're awesome, man. Thanks. All right. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it, brother. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, let's take out the music. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, just it sucks. It sucks so bad. Mm-hmm. 
This is like a bad movie. Right? God, this is just horrible. I, I'm just, dude, it's bad. It's bad. I mean, it's you know what? It's the other thing it's going to do. It's going to make international travel hard for Americans. Yeah. So, let's just do the intro and uh, guy. Oh, well, we have to... Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, let's do an intro. Um... Yeah, dude, those new galaxies are sweet. I wonder if the newer iPhone, when they come out, will try and keep up. As is everything these days, right? Okay. Hey, I'm Jason Wood, the VA Loan Guy. It's another episode of the Armed and Ready Podcast. This is a special edition episode. Today we are talking about Afghanistan, and um, this is a, a big topic. It's not a fun topic, but it's something that we do need to talk about. I have a, a friend and special guest on the show today, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, retired Kevin Key, who's a Green Beret special operator who spent several uh, deployments in Afghanistan, is going to talk to us about firsthand experience there and, um, and what he's seeing and the frustration that a lot of us veterans that, that we're feeling about this whole situation um, in Afghanistan. So come and check this episode out. Okay. Thank you so much for stopping by, checking out this episode. If you have any questions or would like to get in contact with people that might be able to help, if you want to contribute in some manner, um, please feel free to reach out to me. I'll connect you to anybody that I have a resource to. Um, and we just ask for your hope and your prayers for um, all the people that are going to be stranded and stuck in Afghanistan in this mess. Um, so please reach out to me on my website at valoanguy.us. <laughs> 